take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, as we continue in our study of this, this gospel, we've been off of it for a few weeks while I've been on vacation, and then last week observing the Lord's Supper and baptism, and we went to a different text for that. But we're back in John, and, and I'm glad to be, because this great book just gives such a, a, a clear elevation of Christ, a clear uh, explanation of who He is and, and why it's important that we think about Him every time we come to worship. If you remember the whole context of chapter 5 that we've been looking at, uh, Jesus started this, uh, the, this chapter started with Jesus uh, healing uh, the man at Bethesda, telling him to take up his pallet, take up his cot and walk, and he did, and that just caused all sorts of problems with the Jewish leaders. Here Jesus was healing on the Sabbath day. Here he was telling someone to do work on the Sabbath day by taking up his bed and walking with it. And, and they just came unglued about that because they really thought that the whole essence of, of spiritual life, the whole essence of, of religious life was obeying commands. It was obeying rules. It was following through the ritual and doing it exactly right. And Jesus said, I want you to understand, I have come to fulfill these laws. I have come to, to show you that there is a a new and a fresh way in the new covenant. I've come to show you that it's not a matter of obeying rote laws, but it's a matter of knowing me is what life is all about. And, and he begins to carry this forth even a little more. In earlier verses, he's talked about him being equal with the Father and, and being uh, the same with the Father, this, this Trinitarian uh, thread that goes all the way through John's gospel is very clear there. I and the Father are one. He will say that over and over and over again during his ministry to show that he is not some kind of a prophet that just came into the world. He's not just some kind of a good teacher that came into the world. But he said, I have come into the world as the Son of Man, the Son of God. I have come as Messiah to show you what it means to know God and to live with him and to have eternal life. And that's the whole essence. John ends this gospel, as we will see toward the end of it, by saying, listen, I've written these things to you that you may know that He is the Son of God, that you may know that Jesus is who He said He was, and that in knowing that, you may believe in Him. That's the whole reason for this evangelistic tract that John is giving us that we call the Gospel of John. So I want you to know who He is, and in knowing who He is, I want you to believe in who He is because I want you to have eternal life. I want you to know the life that comes from the Father. Now, the passage we look at today, beginning in verse 24, Jesus kind of zeroes in on that whole idea of eternal life. He's been building to it. He's been focusing on it. But here, he says, I want you to see some things. And, and it's amazing how in verse 24 and verse 25, he begins that, those two verses that we've broken them down into with verily, verily in the King James or truly, truly in the New American Standard and other translations. Truly, truly. I want you to hear this, Jesus is saying, when he repeats that, he's saying, let me have your ears clearly at this moment. Now, that doesn't mean that the other things that Jesus says aren't important, because indeed they are. But he says those words, and he perks up his disciples' ears, and he says, don't miss this. And I think he's doing the same thing with you and me. He's saying, listen, all of the gospel of John is important. All of my teachings are important. All of my miracles are important. But verily, verily, truly, truly, don't miss this. And he emphasizes it by repeating that simple little word. Listen to verse 24 through verses 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. Don't be surprised at this. Don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And in verse 30 he says, I can do nothing in my own initiative, but as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Those are powerful words. Those are very authoritative words that Jesus speaks that John has recorded for us here. And I'm reminded of of what C.S. Lewis said about this passage in his book, Mere Christianity, because I think it, it amplifies what Jesus is saying here very clearly. Lewis said this, he said, In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words would imply what I can only regard as silliness and conceit unrivaled by any character in history. If you or I were to stand up and say the words that Jesus just spoke here, if I were to say, listen, if you believe in him who sent me, you'll have life because I have in me life and I have the authority of judgment and I've been given the right to give life, as Jesus says here. If I said that to you, you'd look at me and say, boy, does he have an inflated ego. Boy, is he full of himself. He is conceited and he is silly and he is ridiculous, silly to the the point of ridiculousness to say that, that he can give me life. He has no power. I have no power to give you life, nor do you have power to give anybody else life. But Jesus comes along and says, I have that authority. I have that power. The one who sent me, my Father in heaven has sent me, and I seek to do his will. And he has given me that kind of authority, that kind of a power. In him is ultimate life. He has given me life that I might give you life. Anybody else saying that who is not God himself is speaking silliness, Lewis said. He went on to say this. He said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. That's really the only option that Jesus has given us in these these verses that we're looking at today. Now, he he says stuff like this all through the Gospels, both John's Gospel and and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels. He he makes this kind of claim over and over and over again. And and, and Lewis is right. In saying that, we look at Jesus and we we have to make some kind of judgment. We have to make some kind of decision, if you will. We we have to look at him and say, okay, he is either who he said he was, he is either the Son of God, he is either God incarnate, or he's something far, far less. He's a demon. He's a demon fit to be spit upon and killed, as they tried to do with him. 
as they crucified him and did kill him because he gave his own life. But, but he, he is, he's not worthy of a person to even be listened to or heard. He, he's a demon who deserves to die or, or he's a fool. He's a madman. He's someone who says, oh, I am this, I am great, I am mighty, I have these things to give you when he really doesn't and ought to be locked away in an asylum somewhere. Lewis says rightly that Jesus gives us those choices. He's either the son of God, who he said he was, or he's a madman or a demon or a crazy man, but he is certainly not just some kind of good moral teacher that we're to kind of defer to and say, oh, he's a good man. No, a good man doesn't say these kind of things. He's either far more than a good man. He is the greatest man that ever lived. He is from God, and he is God in the flesh. Or he is someone we ought to walk out those doors and never consider again. We ought to never waste our time on. We ought to never take up the time to even think about who he is. We ought to to not give any thought to him. Paul said that basically in, in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, Listen, if he is not risen from the dead, and that risen from the dead, that resurrection being the evidence that he was who he said he was, It was God's validation that all that he said and all that he did was from God and was true. And and Paul says, listen, we either either need to see that he is who he said he was, risen from the dead. But if he's not raised from the dead, I want you to know our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, you're wasting your time. Now, Paul went on to say, but he did raise from the dead. He is who he said he was. And our preaching is not in vain, and your faith is not in vain. You are not just sitting here wasting your time this morning. You're sitting here this morning worshiping the living Lord, the living Christ, and you're lifting up His name and exalting Him. And hopefully you're seeking His face, and what He's saying here is a reality in your life or will be a reality in your life by the time this hour is over with, and you see Him as who He is. And you don't spit upon Him. You don't try to kill Him. You don't try to lock Him away but rather you fall at his feet and you call him Lord and God. What a passage. He begins out in verse 24 by simply saying that God is the initial giver of life. God the Father. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And and that one does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. The Old Testament agrees with that. If you read the Old Testament from Genesis 1-1, all the way through the prophets and the wisdom literature and everything else, the, the, the teaching is simply this. God, the Father, is the giver of life. He breathed life into Adam and Eve in the garden. He breathed life, breathed life into every human being that ever has lived or ever will live. We breathe this physical life as a gift from God the Father. It's called common grace. It's it's a general kind of grace that everybody experiences. You experience some of the grace of God, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, and one of those graces is that you can breathe. You can live. You can have physical life on this earth, and it comes from the Father. But Jesus makes it clear that this life is much more than just that initial life of being able to breathe a physical breath. It's much more important to know that there is spiritual life in a being than that there is physical life. Physical life can end just like that. Spiritual life never does, Jesus is going to go on to say here and make very clear here. But he wants us to understand in verse 24 that it's the Father 
who is the initial giver of life. I, I love how he says here. He doesn't say it's anywhere else that I found in the New Testament. I may have missed it. But here he gives the credit or the, the, the focus of faith to the Father. Most of the time he's saying, believe in me and you'll have life. He says it in this passage. But in verse 24, he starts out by saying, but if you hear my word and believe him who sent me, then you have eternal life. So I want you to understand it. It's not, it's not a singular thing. There's this, again, this Trinitarian idea that, that John is bringing forth in the words of Jesus here. He says, if you hear my words and you believe him who sent me, then you have eternal life. That's an important thing to understand. And notice here he starts out by simply using the word hearing. If you hear my word. It's not plural, it's singular. It's his word of life. If you hear my word. Now there are a lot of people who hear the proclamation of the gospel and never hear it. Do you understand this? Jesus is talking about something here that goes beyond just saying, oh, well, I heard a preacher one time in my life, and he preached the gospel, and I heard the gospel with these ears on the side of my head, and so does that mean I'm okay? No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about hearing it with the depth of your soul, hearing it within the spirit of your life. He's talking about him who hears my word and acts upon that word and believes that word and believes that it comes from the Father. He's the one who spoke the word for, for, me, to, for, for me to say it and hear it and believe it in the first place. I believe that Jesus is from the Father. That's what he's saying. You hear my words. The idea of hearing the word of Christ all through Scripture has to do with more than just an auditory hearing. It has to do with hearing and believing, hearing and trusting, hearing and placing faith within, and saying, I have heard with my ears, and I've now heard with my spiritual ears that he is who he said he was, and that he has come from whom he said he came from. He is the Messiah. But God is the initial giver of life. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus talks about the reality that in this present time, after we have become Christians, after we have become believers, God gives abundance of life through Jesus Christ. He talks there, says, Truly, truly again, I say to you, an hour is coming, and the hour is now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as a father has life in himself, even so, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. I had Ricky read that passage out of Ezekiel for our Scripture lesson this morning. As he read that for the hearing of the Word, you, you know the story, the, the dry bones in Ezekiel, the vision of the, bri, uh, the dry bones that, that God takes Ezekiel out and shows him this, this vast valley. Nothing but bones, and, and not just bones, but dry bones, parched bones, Bones had been there, obviously, for many years, having the sun beating down upon them. And God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, do you believe those bones can live again? And Ezekiel says, Lord, whatever you want is going to happen. That's a great statement of faith. 
And, and, and God says, well, prophesy to them. Tell them to come alive. Tell them to grow sinew and, and flesh and, and, and all that. And he prophesied, and they began to form flesh on them, and, but they weren't breathing. And finally God says, prophesy to them breath and call on the winds to come and breathe life into them. And, and, and the Spirit of God came and breathed life into them. And those what, things that were just dry, parched bones, all of a sudden had flesh on them. They rose up like a great army, and they had life within them. Folks, that doesn't happen. I mean, go anywhere you want to go, out to a cemetery and just start waiting, and you can wait all day in your own strength and in your own expectation for life to come into those dead bodies. It's not going to happen. But yet when God speaks life, life takes place. And, And that's what Ezekiel was seeing the power of God to give life, and that's a great illustration of what what Jesus is saying here, that when the Son speaks life and commands life, life comes. The Father gave eternal life, gave life to the Son to give to others. So, So when the Son speaks, when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God, they will live and they will have eternal life, just like those bones did in the valley with Ezekiel. Well, what about a New Testament example of that? One of my favorite stories, we'll get to it eventually in John's Gospel, probably not in 2012, but sometime maybe in 2013. We'll get to chapter 11. The the ministry of Jesus is coming to an end. Why are you laughing? The, The ministry of Jesus is coming to an end, and he's about to go to the cross, and yet not quite yet. And and his friend Lazarus dies. And the sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus. Listen, Jesus, your, your, your friend Lazarus, whom you love, is very ill. And we've seen you heal multitudes of people. Please come back now to Bethany and, and heal Lazarus. We know he's ill. And you gotta say the, all you've got to do is say the word and Lazarus will live. Jesus waited four days. And word came to him basically and said, Jesus, don't bother. It's too late. You, you didn't come. You didn't even send them back and say like you did with the nobleman's son and like you did with others, uh, the, the royal authority that, that going back, your son's going to be fine. You go, so we'll go back and just tell Mary and Martha that Lazarus is going to be fine. Don't worry about him. He's going to live. He didn't do that. didn't say anything. Four days, Lazarus dies. The word comes to Jesus that Lazarus is dead. and Then Jesus says, okay, let's go. The, the disciples even kind of looked at him a little funny and said, well, why? He was sick. We didn't go. He's dead now. And you, I guess you want to go pay respects to your friend. Boy, were they in for a shock. They got back to the, uh, to the place where Lazarus was buried, to the tomb, and people were crying and wailing and and they did it. Sometimes they even hired people to come to the, to the graveside for several days after a death to cry and wail and weep for the family. And that, and that took place. It was taking place. And they were, they were all there weeping. And Mary and Martha came out to him and said, you know, if you'd have just come back, we know you had the power to heal. If you'd have come back, Lazarus would be alive today. And Jesus basically said, don't bother me with that. You're going to see the glory of God. He walked up to that tomb. And he said, take away the stone. He's been dead four days now. Jewish theology was 
that maybe within the first three days, the soul sort of, and the spirit was sort of hovering above the body. And if you got there within three days, you might be able to pull it off. But this is four days. Spirit's gone, as far as Jewish theology is concerned. He said, roll away the stone. I, I do prefer the King James translation here because the other newer translations say, you know, by now his body is decaying. And, and King James just says, what? His body surely stinketh. We don't want to roll that back. There's going to be an odor that's just going to be pugnant and repulsive to us. Why would he roll away the stone? And he said, just roll away the stone. And they did. And when they rolled away the stone, he looked into that dark cavern, cave, tomb. He looked up at the heavens and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I know you always hear me and you hear my prayers and we are one and, and all of that. But for these people, thank you for hearing my voice and my prayer. And he looked into the grave and had to have shocked everybody and said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Don't you know they were looking at him saying, he has lost it. We've been worrying about Jesus. He's been saying some pretty wild, radical things, and we've, we've worried about what he was saying. But now he looks into this grave, he looks into this tomb and where his friend is, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Everybody watches. Probably more watching Jesus to see what he was going to do because they thought this was the strangest thing he's ever done. And all of a sudden, in that tomb, out of the darkness of that grave, they, they saw what must have been just an inch-by-inch inch movement. You know, it couldn't have been much more than this because he was bound in grave clothes. They would wrapped him up. He was almost mummified, and he was, he was tied had to just been an inch-by-inch inch kind of movement, just shaking, you know, kind of tilting his body to get any kind of mobilization at all. And all of a sudden, they saw something. Something white. They saw movement. It was Lazarus. The scripture says that he who was dead and he who was bound in grave clothes came forth from the grave, alive. He who had been dead was alive. Why was he alive? He was alive because the Son, the Son spoke and Lazarus heard his voice and he came forth out of the grave alive. Jesus looked at him and said, what are you all looking at? Why are you standing around? Again, King James, loose him and let him go. Take off the grave clothes. They're not fitting for him anymore. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. Take off the grave clothes and set him free. And they did just that. If you're a believer, there has been a time in your life where the voice of Christ, the, the voice of the living God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, you heard the voice of the Son of God and you believed in that voice. And that voice said to you, listen, come forth from your death. Come forth out of spiritual death 
and live unto the Father. When He spoke for you to come alive, you came alive and you believed in the Father and you believed in the Son and you were given eternal life. Jesus says that's in the present time. He's going to talk about eschatologically. He's going to talk about the end time here in a minute. But, but right now, he's concerned about now, in the now. And it's, it's, the same thing. it's the same thing that John said to the church that he wrote to in, in 1 John. Just hear these words out of 1 John chapter 5. He said, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son, The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God uh, does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And hear this and he who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son does not have the life. These things I have written to you. Now John's telling us again why he wrote this book of 1 John. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus says here, those who hear the voice of the Son of God, those who hear will live and will have eternal life given by the Son on the authority of the Father. The Father gave Him life to impart to us. And those who hear the voice, hear the word of the Son, have eternal life. And in verses 28 and 29, Jesus just goes on and talks about how God has given a special manifestation of that life in the resurrection of our bodies. We have life now. But he says, don't marvel at this. Don't be surprised at this. That you can have life now, eternal life now, not temporal life, not, not life that, that's tenuous and, and, and maybe will, will be taken away. You have eternal life that will never end if you've heard the voice of the Son and responded in belief. But he says in verses 28 and 29, he said, here's the manifestation. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, and those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. What? Wait a minute. Boy, if you just take that verse out of context, it's going to sound like, okay, we've had it all wrong all along. It's not by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, but salvation's by works. He's going to call forth people, and they're going to come forth, and those who did good will be put on this side and given life. Those who did evil will be put on this side and will be given judgment on the basis of their works. It's not what John is saying. It's not what Jesus is saying here. He is saying this, that in that final resurrection, even as in life right now, you will be recognized as to whether you have been given life by hearing the word of Christ and responding to that word and believing in him who sent him and believing the word of Christ. 
if you are in this life and you have responded, your life will be known not by just simply saying, oh, I waved my hand in a prayer meeting or I went forward in a church and I went through a baptismal waters and that's all it was. But he's saying that if you truly are in the Son, if you truly have been given life by the Son, then there will be evidence of that in the way you live. Listen, when you come to Christ, you are changed. When you, are come, when you come to Christ, you, you leave death, literal death. If you're here on Sunday nights, we won't be here tonight because of the family night at home, but, but next week, Lord willing, we'll get back into it. And, and we're talking about Ephesians. We're going through Ephesians. We'll get to chapter 2 tomorrow night, and, or, or next Sunday night. We find out that, that there Paul says, listen, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, you aren't just sick. You just have a disease. You didn't just need some help. You needed what Jesus gave to Lazarus. You needed what Jesus says he gives here. You needed life. And, and if, if he has called your name and you have responded by faith and you have believed in the Son, John is saying here, I want you to under, and Jesus is saying here, I want you to understand that there is a difference. And in the resurrection, you will be recognized by the change that was in your life by the power of God. But that's how you'll be recognized now. One of my theological heroes is, is Jesse Mercer. Mercer University is named after him, but don't judge Jesse by the school that's named after him, okay? Jesse was a great theologian. Died just before the Southern Baptist Convention was born in 1845, uh, but a great leader among believers, Christians, and Baptists in Georgia in the latter part of the 1700s, early part of the 1800s. And Jesse Mercer said this in his doctrinal state, statement. He said, good works justify us only in the sight of men and of angels. Now think about that a minute. He just said in the point before that, we are justified by faith, excuse me, we're justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then in this verse he says, but works do justify us. Not in the sight of God. They don't prove to God anything. God knows our heart. But good works justify us in the sight of men and women and in the sight of angels. In other words, it's by the changed life that comes forth with, when life comes that men and women and angels can know that we really belong to the Father. And Jesus makes that clear here that one day we'll be raised to life. And, and what happened in this life, how we trust in this life, there's a special manifestation that comes about in the resurrection of our bodies. But that's not when we enter into eternal life, Jesus says. We enter into eternal life the day we hear the voice of God, the day we hear the word of God, and we believe. That's the essence of what he wants us to hear today. Sort of in conclusion, there are three points I would, I would conclude with, I think, here. One is that, understand, death is not the end of existence. Death is not the end of existence. Scripture is filled with that. There is a resurrection that Jesus talks about here eschatologically in the last days. There is a resurrection to life, and there is a separation there where those who have trusted in Christ, those who put their faith in Christ, and because of their lives have been changed, will enter into eternal life with the Son and with the Father. We call that heaven. 
And those who have done evil deeds, done the evil deeds, or, or literally the word deeds there is not in that text, it's just those who have committed the evil will come up to a resurrection of judgment. A, a, a resurrection whereby believers have already been judged. That's the whole idea of justified. We stand before God justified, declared not guilty, imputed with Christ's righteousness on the basis of His work on the cross. And those who committed the evil, those who did not hear the voice of the Son and believe in the Son, those are separated to hell. An eternity of, an eternity of, of unspeakable suffering. Not because God is a sadist, not because God likes to punish people, but because of their sin. And their sin is worthy of that. So there, there's an existence beyond death. And, and I've already hit point two really there. I got carried away. There are two forms of existence beyond the grave, one to life and one to, to, to punishment. Those are clearly taught in the Scripture. Those are not to be the, the motivation for believing in the Son. The motivation for believing in the Son is because He is who He said He is. And the third thing is the kind of existence that one enters into is based solely upon that individual's relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Determinative of what existence you will have in eternity is determined by what your relationship is with Jesus Christ right now. Do you know him? The Apostle Paul said to the Philippian Christians in chapter 3, he said, that I may know him. The power of his resurrection, that is a new life, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed even to his death. I, I want to die now that I may live later. I want to die to self now. I want to die to sin now. That's what we illustrated last Sunday through baptism, buried in that watery grave and raised to newness of life, buried and, and dead to self and dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. Are you alive to him today? That, that's what Jesus is saying here in this passage that he wants to emphasize so clearly, I am he who came that you may believe. The Son of Man has that authority. It was prophesied by Daniel. Jesus' judgment is confirmed by the prophet when he said in, in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, he said, I kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days. Son of man is, the, the, uh, is Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, the Messiah. The ancient of days is a name for God the Father. I, I saw one like the Son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days, the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion uh, of which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not ever be destroyed. Sounds like John's vision and revelation when he said, I looked out and I saw men from every tribe and every nation and every language and every tongue. And I saw them gathered around the throne of the king. 
And, and they were falling down and they were worshiping him, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And blessed is he who is the Lamb who was slain for his people, that men might be gathered from every t- nation, tribe, tongue, and people, that they might come and that they might believe in him who was sent by the Father. John's gospel is nothing if it's not an evangelistic gospel. God's, John's gospel is nothing if it's not a pulling together the, the salvific words of Jesus and saying, listen, believe in him who sent me and believe the words of me who was sent. If it's not true, he's silly. If it's not true, he's conceited. If it's not true, he's misguided. If it's not true, he was a lunatic or a madman or something worse. But here's where you have to leave this morning. You can try to shut him up as a fool and say he spoke like a madman. You can spit upon him as they did 2,000 years ago, and you can try to kill him all over again. You can't do it, but you can try as just a false teacher, or you can fall on your face before him and you can cry out as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. As Peter did when when Jesus looked at him in Matthew's gospel and said, who do men say I am? They said, well, you're John the Baptist or you're you're Elijah or you're one of the prophets. And, And he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said with that bold voice, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And in you are the words of life. There's your choices. He's a fool. He's an evil, evil man trying to lead people astray. Or you can fall at his feet and say, my Lord and my God. Have you heard the voice of Christ calling Come and follow me. Have you heard him shouting into your grave of death and decay? Bill, come forth. Have you heard the voice of Christ? You follow me? Follow me. Because I give you life. Not just life to breathe, not just life to exist, but eternal life with the Father. That's his call to you today. And many of you are here and you're saying, I've already done that. I've already believed. I've trusted Christ. Very good. What does it mean to fall before him and say, my Lord and my God? It means to say like Paul, I'm a doulos. I'm a slave of Christ. It's like Jesus to say, even the verse we didn't even get to, we'll come to next week, where he said, listen, I can do nothing in my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek to do my own will, but I seek to do the will of him who sent me. What, What is your will? If you're here and you say, I've trusted Christ, I believed in him, is your will to do what you want? your will to do the will of him 
your will subjugated and submitted to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, change my will. Make my will your will. Give me a passion for what's important to you. Give me a heart for obedience that goes way beyond do's and don'ts. That goes way beyond just saying, oh, I'm going to get me a list and I'm going to follow that list as best I can and, and I'll judge myself to be acceptable. No, 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 no. Lord, give me a desire to obey you at the innermost part of my being. Give me a desire to walk with you. Give me a desire to know you. Lord, give me life. And give it to me in abundance. Let's pray. we come this morning, we come understanding that His love is what sent Christ to the cross. Even as we looked at in John 3, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him, faith, grace through faith, might have eternal life, everlasting life. I ask you just to consider that this morning. Have you placed your faith in Him alone? Not in Him and your good works. Not in Him and your effort. But in Him and Him alone. If you're here and you say, yes, I have, can you pray that with Jesus and with Paul and with Peter and with John, and with all the saints of glory, you would say, Father, I, my meat, my passion, my desire is to have my will submitted to your will. I want to do your will above everything else. Father, we are grateful to you. As we sing about your love, love divine, love excelling, Father, help us more than just feel that love. Help us know that love and help us respond to that love by grace through faith in Christ alone. We pray in His name. Amen.